0: And my, my mother and my dad uh, said, okay, we're going to go to church. And as we, I remember the morning we're getting ready and, and my mom says, now be on your best behavior. There were, you know, there were four of us and, and okay, okay. And so we get there, we meet the pastor, we go to church. And that was when I first began to learn a little bit about God, saw a cross for the first time. Uh, thought I was supposed to sit in church like this and never move. That didn't work very well in my capacity. I usually got thumped on the head or my ear pulled, and I think I have a scar back here where it almost came loose. But what was what was cool is Darren and I would play these games in church, and I know everybody else does it too. Uh, but, but in the next summer, uh, we got a chance to go to Camp Lone Star. Uh, and in the Lutheran Church, that was uh, in Seguin, Texas, we would go down to Camp Lone Star, I think, or Seguin, one of those places. Anyways, I never realized how cool it was. You could go like, you could go out in the boat, you could row, you could shoot bow and arrows, you could climb up rocks, you could climb trees, you could do all the fun stuff. And I thought, this is pretty cool, and you get to eat too. I said, how much better can this get? That night, they talked to us about what it means to know Jesus Christ, and that's where God's provenient grace began to speak into my life. Wesley used the term provenient because it's kind of that idea of God coming after you. That here are we, here we are here on earth, but God is searching after us. And Wesley would say, God's provenient grace is constantly searching after us and calling us to Himself and saying, Come, come. And that was for me, the very first time in my life that I began to experience and contemplate in this little brain up here that there might be something out there that's more important than myself, right? That's what you do in that age. The other part of my life that happened during that time was that my parents divorced. That was a whole other thing that was happening in our lives. And so I began to to contemplate this. How do I have this new relationship with God, but then I have this other relationship over here that is just going to shambles? And some of the stuff Christina shared earlier uh, just hit home and make a lot of sense because we had a huge amount of dysfunction in our family. I didn't know at the time that's what it was. I just thought that's what we got dropped into. Uh, And so I wanted to spend a little time this morning talking about our relationships that we have with each other, how those can be difficult at times and how those can be great at times, but we still have to not check out. And I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever that relationship looks like in your life, please don't just check out because that's oftentimes what most people do. And why do we do that? Why do we check out? Because it's easy. Right? Because it's easy. I always tell my kids if, it, if work was easy, they'd call it vacation, right? And we'd all be doing it, right? <laughs> so, so I want to encourage you: don't do that. So, when we have these difficult relationships, we've been in those places where we've been hurt, and when we've we we've, we've been down those muddy roads that are tough, and so it's hard to stay engaged. It's hard to stay connected in that place. Uh, I come out of a family, and, and when you when you get a chance to go to family reunions, every one of these have, oh, maybe one or two or several persons that nobody talks to, because they're weird. We're normal. They're weird. Stay away from them. We'd have the conversation in the car. Now, don't talk to your uncle so and so this time. You know how weird he is. He's in all kinds of places. He takes medication. Stay away from him. And so we thought for years that we should just just check out of those people's lives. Well, that's fine until life happens. And it's hard not to engage in those places, right? Because it's easier not to. I have them in my life, and I'm sure that you have them as well. So how do we deal with these kind of relationships? Or how do we, as people, sometimes... How are we parents of crazy children, or how are we children of crazy parents? That's sometimes the relationship. And I love what she said earlier. You can be in that sandwich generation where you are taking care of your kids and your parents at the same exact time, and they have both the same problems. They both have trouble going to the bathroom at any kind of schedule, they both throw fits from time to time when mom was in the last stages of life we were down in Houston uh, it got so bad that she she called my brother and said I'm leaving Sonny am my stepfather I said well like where are you going she goes next door I just can't live with him anymore I'm just leaving I said well you're not really leaving you're just like across the lawn I know and it was funny to watch that relationship start to bloom again he would come over and he would have the paper and he would have the coffee He would knock on the door, Darnell, can I come in and see you? How are you doing? And all of a sudden, these little, these 80-year-old people started becoming little kids again. Well, the day I showed up, mom needed to go to the doctor. And so I'm trying to get them from the house to the car without too much of a conversation that's negative. I don't want to go. You're going to go. I don't want to go. Get in the car. Finally, I stop them, right? I said, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. Can the kids please get in the car? It's time for us to go. And they both looked at me and I said, I said it correctly. Get in the car, kids. Okay, okay. You ride up front, buckle up. You get in the back, buckle up. Hang on. Don't talk to each other. We'll be there in about 15 minutes. (laughs) I mean, what are you supposed to do when they put the dis and dysfunctional of your family? It's just where they're at. That's what we often face as adults. So, What we often do is we vacate. My brother, my younger brother, Darren, called me a couple of months ago, and he said, hey, I was looking online, and I found online our old house that we used to live in as kids. I said, really? And he goes, yeah, you know, it was in the kind of the slum part of town. We called it the barrio back in the day. I said, yeah. And he said, it's for sale. I said, well, okay, we should buy it. I said, really? I said, go, go look at that again. He goes, yeah, it doesn't look as good as it did when we lived there. And I said, but they just, I, I said, do you realize it is in foreclosure? Nobody is living in it and the roof is leaking. And it's still in the worst part of the entire city of Houston. I know, but man, we could, we could relive our dreams again. I said, you know what? I got a better idea. You just get in the car and you drive by the house and you just think about all the things you did that were so great, and then you drive by again, and then go back home. You'll be good. Save you $30,000. I mean, my mom only gave twelve for it, and it has now come down to the value of thirty. It's really worth a lot. But that's what we do. We vacate and just leave the premises completely empty. So I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you're at in those relationships, wherever you're at, try not to simply just vacate those relationships and say, I'm just checking out, okay? All right, can you do that? Raise your hand. Don't check out. Just Now, you might check out tomorrow, and that's okay, but today, let's work a little bit on these because, you know, the good relationships are easy. I'm talking about the ones that are not so simple and not so easy. Now, I say that because when we look at the scriptures this morning, Both of these two scriptures, one from the writer of Hebrews and one from Paul as he's writing to the church in Colossus, both of them begin, interestingly enough, they say, to the Christians who are living here, I am speaking to you, is what basically they both say. They both begin saying, I'm talking to you who call yourselves followers of Christ. They both begin that way, and they both talk about worship in some capacity. They both talk about the power of worship. Now, in the Hebrew scripture, the worship in the Hebrew scripture typically is more about worship as being corporate. That it is those of us here together, can, it can only happen when we are in this room or we're in some place together worshiping the triune God. And, and he, the Hebrew writer talks about that. He, he's speaking to the believer in both texts he talks about connecting with God as a group of people. Now, I, I, know, I know it's easy to say, well, I'm just going to go to church somewhere else because I just don't like the way they do things, or I don't like this, or I don't like that. And, and you may do that. But remember, worship is both a corporate thing that happens when we're in the room together and something that happens between us and God. And don't be led to think that it only happens right here. Because it also happens out here too. And if those of you have led worship before, you know what I'm talking about. It's a powerful thing that happens. It's the, the unction that comes from the Holy Spirit that none of us can say, I don't know why that happens. But God is involved doing something and making that happen. Worship treats everybody the same. When we come to worship, we're all the same. We just got clothes on, right? None of, us are, none of us are perfect. We all have sin in our lives. We all make mistakes. We all trip and fall. We all need to get back up. And, and worship is the place where corporately, togetherly, we are all seen as people of God before God. Amen? And it happens in that place. When Darren and I were younger, we got a chance to uh, discover capitalism at its best. And so my younger brother and I uh, started up our own grass-cutting yard cleaning company. And we would go through the neighborhood with our lawnmower, and we'd find somebody, and we'd give them a price, and we'd cut cut their grass. And and my mother, from time to time, would encourage us to be fair in everything we did. And we were, for the most part. But every now and then, at that age, we would probably take advantage of a few folks occasionally, especially those who had plenty of money and Really didn't know whether we did a good job or not. And, and so, in one particular week, we did eight yards in one day. We charged them each $20. I'm thinking, I can add eight times 20, what is it? Yeah, $160, 1972. We were making some money. Well, the regular price was $5 a yard. We got home. My mother said, uh, whose money is this on the table? I said, well, Darren and I made money all day. How many yards did y'all cut? I said, eight. And she goes, yeah, you didn't do a very good job. I said, how do you know? She goes, you shouldn't be able to cut more than two or three in a day. At this heat, this... You should, something is wrong. And I said, well, no, if you don't believe us, go next door and ask Daisy. Mom comes back and she goes, yeah, y'all need to do that again. You did it so fast. And you cut it so quickly that you missed half of it. And then you, then you overcharged her. So, well, but we made a good lick of money. She said, yeah, but now you get to go give it back. I don't know what was worse. I would have rather had some corporal punishment than going back and saying, here's your $20 back. She wouldn't even let us keep the 5 I said, we earned the five, so it doesn't matter. You treat people fairly. Give her their entire 20. You get out there, and you cut that yard again. And you do that to every single one of them that you did wrong. And I began to learn how do we treat people fairly. And I think that worship does that corporately. It's that place that Hebrews writer talks about. Corporately. Because it's important that you understand that when you're here, It matters. When you're not here, it matters. We want to see you. We want to be involved in your life. We want God to be involved in your life. We miss you when you're not here. It's important that you're here because there's something that happens in this room that none of us have any control over. It's God coming and living in this place and speaking into our lives. Corporately, it happens. Now, Paul also wrote uh, in Colossians, uh, he talks about worship being that which is personal and that which happens inside our lives. Uh, In the beginning, he says, in verse 24, he says, he uses the Greek term katanoumen, which means to think about these things. Or as my uncle used to say, use your head for something besides a hat rack. You have a brain in there. Use it a little bit. Think about these things. Think on these things. Uh, Don't just, he says, think about, contemplate, concentrate, and consider these things. In this setting, the people of God were coming in and doing worship over and over and over and expecting something different to happen. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, wait a minute, it's a little bit different. There's this personal relationship between God and God's people, between Christ and Christ's people. And he says in verse 24, and in worship, spur one another on, encourage one another, help one another, be with one another. Every one of us together makes a difference. It takes all of us. There's just something that happens together. We are changed. It's important that we do that. Worship is corporate, but your presence encourages me and everyone else who is here. When you realize that the cross of Calvary leads to the presence of the parousia or the second coming of Christ, worship becomes a different thing in your life. When you recognize the fact that God's death on a cross and Christ's second coming happens in our lives. And it happens here in worship. In worship, worship is personal. As God's chosen people, they have Christ in their heart. He also says, clothe yourself towards others. Clothe yourself, and listen to this, he says, clothe yourself in compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and long suffering. Clothe yourself in those things. Live with those things. I understand long suffering when I watched my mother pass away, but I remember her saying, I'm gonna go see God. I understand what that's like. She goes, I won't live in this body much longer. But I'm going to see the master of the universe one of these days. And then he says, forgive one another. What's interesting in the Greek is not only does it say forgive one another, but it also says forgive yourself. You don't get that in the English writing. But Paul in his writing, he says, forgive yourself and forgive others. Now, why would you need to do that? Why would you need to forgive yourself? When we receive forgiveness from God for things we've done, it also is powerful when we're able to forgive other people. I think it takes both of those. You haven't lived through pain and suffering without being able to do both of those to get healthy on the other side. It takes both of those. Forgive yourself and forgive others. I wrote this this morning. I said, you'll never move forward in life after a divorce without doing both of those. You will stay where you're at. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both of those. It takes both. You can't can't continue to make excuses and still go forward, right? And it happens in worship. Let me say it again. A very difficult time in life, I had to learn this. As Julie and I blended our families together, it became a difficult time for us. We've now just been married 21 years, and we still are trying to figure out these difficult relationships. It was interesting listening to Christina earlier because she talked about how those, all those relationships began to intersect. And in our minds, it's easy to think, well, in a couple of years, we'll figure it out. It takes much longer than that. It's difficult when we work with those places. We are still trying to figure that out. We still have the relationship of my child and Julie as her stepmother, Emily and me as her adopted father and, and how all of that works together and how sometimes it never works and we just all go separate ways. But we have to work on it when we forgive others and we forgive ourselves. So what can you do? What can you do? I wanted to, to talk just a hair this morning about two things I think that are very powerful. Number one is how do you develop boundaries in your life? There's actually a book, uh, McCloud. What, what was the guy's last name? Wrote a book titled Boundaries. I thought McCloud was his last name. Henry, Henry Cloud. Yeah, a book is titled Boundaries. If you've never heard of that word boundaries and understand how you do that and set those, go on Amazon and order the book. It's not expensive and read it. It helps you begin to think about how do I set boundaries in my life? Not, it's not like I'm getting a fence out and setting it up here, but I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually. How do I set these places where people can't hurt me? And how can I live in that? And how can I stop those kind of things from happening? And how do I live out my life so that I create healthy boundaries? So when someone says, you know, I really need you to go do this. And you know, in your mind, you have no time to do that. But what do you say? Sure, put me down on the list. And you're on the list of 37 people. And they all go, when are you going to get to my stuff? Because I wasn't healthy enough to say, you know, I just can't do it. Call somebody else. developing healthy boundaries and then not only learning to develop healthy boundaries that take time but secondly how do you avoid or recognize what triangulation looks like for some people they may not have heard of that word or you may have triangulation is when there's three people in a relationship you know what a triangle is right but then you have three people like for example let's say Tim and Lisa and I are talking about something and I say Lisa did you hear what Tim did she goes, no, what did he do now? And I go, you're not going to believe he parked in the handicapped spot outside when nobody was around. <laughs> and so, so the, minute, the minute she goes, no, tell me what went on, she's bought into the triangle. And you, you know which person loses in the triangle? The one in the middle. The one that says, no, tell me. You saw this in sixth, seventh, eighth grade when you were kids, right? Did you know that so-and-so said such-and-such about you? And you go, really? Tell me about it. Well, the minute you do that, you're stuck in the middle of the triangle. Now, I know as adults, we've never seen this kind of thing happen, (laughs) right? And especially at church, because church is the worst place it happens. You've never seen it happen before. But recognize when someone is trying to do that to you and stop it from happening, okay? How do you do that? How do you stop it from happening? If I say to Lisa, did you hear what Tim said? And she goes, no, tell me. She bought into the triangle. If she would have said, no, let's go talk to Tim and find out what he's saying. You see how she stopped that? And so it's a powerful, powerful thing in our relationships. And especially in your family systems, you're going to see these well, they're like trapezoids and all these things. And you got like 17 triangles inside one dry, lot, huge triangle. Because nobody will draw boundaries and nobody will ever say, well, you know, we might ought to talk to that person about it. Instead of talking about them, we'll talk to them. So, And we do want to encourage you. Talk to people. That's healthy, right? You may not like what they say, or they may not like what you say. But it's much healthier to talk to people than it is to talk what? About people, right? So how do you develop strong, deep relationships? I think it begins in worship. Worship that is both corporate and worship that is both personal. Because it's in this time in worship where nobody's any better than anybody else. We all fall short of the glory of God, right? And it's here where we are seeing by God as equals to everybody. So I challenge you this week, don't forget to work on those relationships. Those who call ourselves Christian, love God, love your neighbor and meet God in worship because it's in worship where your life is transformed. So would you stand and let me pray this morning. Eternal God as we work on developing boundaries in our lives and avoiding triangulation we also know that that comes more becomes more powerful when we develop those tools Father speak into our spirits this morning that we may understand you at a deeper level speak into our lives here in worship this morning that we may experience the risen Christ here this morning eternal God pour out your spirit in Jesus name we pray